Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, the show where we talk all things transportation. Today we have a jam-packed show. I'm talking it's 10 pounds of show in a 5-pound bag. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Jason, 10 pounds is heavy. Yeah. Yep. It's a lot of stuff in a 5-pound bag. It certainly is, uh, but I think we're going to do it, and we're going to get it all in, and we're going to have a great show, because on the show today, we're going to be talking with a guy. His name is uh, Wiley Bryant. Uh, he said it's pronounced like the coyote, Wiley Coyote. Fantastic. Super genius. Uh, Wiley called our Denver 7 Contact 7 helpline about horn honking. He left a whole voicemail about it. It was forwarded to me. He thinks Denver uh, residents are doing it wrong. And he wants to straighten everybody out. He has advice on the whole honking deal and how to do it right. So we'll talk to him because he thinks he's an expert. So we'll, we'll figure this out. Excellent. We will uh, talk, uh, talk to him in just a few minutes. We will also speak with Emily Kleinfelter. I'm, I know I'm going to ruin Emily's name. I just know it. It's a, it sounds like it's a good German name. Uh, Kleinfelter. So I'll just call her Emily for now. There we go. Forevermore because... I don't want to keep ruining her name. But Emily is an urban planning student, and we're going to talk to her about what they learn in urban planning school, what our cities are maybe going to look like in 25 or 50 years, because mm-hmm. you would think she would know. We'll see, man. I'm hoping it's a lot more walking, a whole lot less driving. Uh, we'll see how all that works out. We don't know. Uh, anyway, but first, I already know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it to you anyway. Have you heard of the actor Stephen Keyes? No. Yeah, I didn't recognize his name either, actually. He was in Soul Plane. Okay. Uh, Big Time Rush. Uh, some other things you probably never heard nope. of anyway. Nope, I've heard of Soul Plane. I've never actually seen it, but well, the rest of them, big swing and a miss. <laughs> Steven is suing American Airlines SkyWest after he says one of his pinky fingers got stuck in the armrest of a plane and it stayed stuck for almost an hour. Uh, this was on a flight back in September on SkyWest Airlines. Stephen was, he's a big guy. Okay. I mean, like a really big guy. He's, you could say he's robust. Is he like trying to fit 10 pounds in a five pound bag? He exactly is. Okay. That's exactly what Stephen is doing. Well, he, um, he's, he has a much, I would think a larger than normal finger just because he is such a large man. Well, anyway, Mr. Keys is claiming severe emotional distress and weeks of pain. He says he's hasn't been able to drive nor be able to play with his children since this incident. So for the last three months, he's been finger incapacitated. Uh, can't drive because of your finger? I didn't realize your f- pinky finger was that important. I feel like I could get the job done with nine if I needed to. I was out playing ball with some friends, uh, broke my knee in three places, and I was able to drive home. <laughs> Now, according to this lawsuit, Keyes tried raising his armrest on a flight from Reno to Los Angeles, became um, entangled there. Now, according to the lawsuit, Keyes tried raising his armrest on a flight from Reno to Los Angeles to access his seatbelt, only to lodge his finger under the armrest into a small hole. Obviously, small enough to grab his very large finger. He said, quote, The spring mechanism embedded inside of this hole in the armrest applied intense pressure to my finger, immediately inflicting injury, swelling, and pain. Uh, 
He then explained that his attempts to free his finger caused a scene on the airplane. Can you imagine being on a plane from Reno to Las Vegas and your pinky finger gets caught in a death trap in your armrest? It it, it sounds like a scene out of the movie Saw where you just have to cut the thing off to stop the pain. He then said, by this time, dozens of passengers became aware of my perilous condition, causing my dire situation to become a humiliating public spectacle. By the end of it, I remain entrapped in this nightmarish condition, suffering for nearly an hour. Now, there was nothing in there about how he eventually got his pinky finger out of the armrest hole and how that was ever resolved, but apparently he did because he's not there to this day. He's not fingerless. No. Now, SkyWest Airlines said in a statement, The comfort and safety of our passengers is our first priority. We worked out with our partner, American, to reach out to Mr. Keys regarding his bruised finger and looked forward to swiftly resolving this matter. His bruised finger is what they (laughs) called it. Due to this ongoing litigation, we cannot comment further. But they already commented because they called it a bruised finger, not injured or entrapped or anything like that. I mean, the language there is pretty specific. It does say a lot. At the same time, man, I I, I don't know. His story sounds sounds very painful. Now, I I don't I, I didn't see how much Mr. Keys is suing for, uh, so I don't know that. Eleventy um, billion dollars. Yes. <laughs> Ironically, the premise of Soul Plane is that a passenger has a horrible flight where his dog has to be checked as baggage and is ultimately sucked through the airplane engine, um, and his backside during the flight gets stuck in the toilet during turbulence. <laughs> and that flight on the in this movie is so bad that he sues the airline and wins $100 million, enough to start his own competing carrier. Do we need to start watching this movie and then do a film review next week? Maybe. Uh, American Airlines, therefore, should, I guess, argue that Stephen Keyes is well aware of the risks and the uh, problems that can arise in flying. The Absolutely. notion that this incident is actually more humiliating and more of a public spectacle than actually appearing in Soul Plane might be too much for a jury to bear. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Why, man? Why? Really? I mean, seriously. That is more of a spectacle than being in Soul Plane? I mean, they're about the it, same length, right? It only, one hour of yeah. a bad movie or one hour stuck in a pinky death grip. It only got 18 tomatoes on Rotten Tomatoes. And that means it's not good. I mean, you need a hundred. You need to get higher tomatoes. You get eighteen tomatoes, tomatoes, and that's not. That's bad. To, that's a bad tomato movie right there. Really, really bad tomato movie. Last week, our contact seven helpline received a voicemail that was then forwarded to me. It came from Wiley Bryant, who wanted us to do a story about when and how you should honk your car's horn. We have on this show talked about the horn issue in many ways, but. In the effort to hear from our viewers, from our loyal listeners, we've decided to invite Wiley on the show to talk about honking. Wiley, thanks for being here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So what is your deal with honking? Well, I think everyone should lay off the horn. Lay off like as in they're just honking too much? Yeah, yeah. Quit honking the horn. So I moved here, uh, actually live in Longmont now. I moved from Oklahoma City back in March. And immediately I just noticed everyone's honking all the time. And I'm looking around, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And so uh, I just feel like um, no one knows what the horn really is for. I mean, the horn, this might sound 
like a really conservative viewpoint, but the horn's a safety device to let other drivers know that you're there. You know, its purpose is to help um, avoid collisions and not to let someone know that you're annoyed with them. So anyway, I just, uh, I just, it's just an observation that I made. Now there's, there's horn honking in Oklahoma City, definitely. I just noticed a, a really high increase when I moved here. And it's not only like, you know, at first I thought, well, is this like a Denver thing when traffic's really like congested? And that's not really it. Um, I'm in medical sales and so I drive all over the front range. And so I'm in Denver a lot. Um, you know, I'm down south in Colorado Springs, um, up north and, um, you know, Longmont, Loveland area. I'm all over the place. And it seems pretty, pretty consistent. So it's just an observation. You know, it's not the end of the world, but um, I thought, heck, someone needs to do a story on this. <laughs> and and this is about as best as you're going to get, unfortunately. Um, I don't think the <laughs> contact seven people, that, since they forwarded it to me, uh, that's like the last ditch effort right there. Uh, so uh, I've said on this show that car makers should make a standard horn on a car. But also have a secondary horn on a car, a let's say two sets, like an angry horn for serious warnings and a more gentle, friendly horn for times when you want to get somebody's attention, like when they're face down into their phone at a stoplight and you really want to get them to move on from reading their latest Facebook post. Uh, what do you think about a kinder, gentler horn that could be added to a car? Yeah, well, that's definitely an option. Um, I don't know that it's the best option. Sorry. But, um, <laughs> Ouch, Jason. Oh, that does, that does, that hurts me a little bit. Uh, what would that no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, Wiley, just, I'm, Wiley, just, I'm just, Wiley, yeah. tell me when you honk your horn. I honk my horn if somebody is, if I'm in someone's blind spot and they're trying to change lanes. Okay. So if somebody stopped at a red light in front of you and they're buried in their phone and that light goes green and that person is still sitting there for, let's say, five seconds, honk or no honk? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think at five seconds a tap is appropriate because at that point they're holding up uh, normal traffic. Now yeah. I, I do I, I, I do give a, at least a, a few seconds before before I use the horn in that scenario. In that scenario, is, that's a common scenario too. So so yeah, that's um, that's definitely reasonable to give a, a friendly tap after after four or five seconds. All right, I got another one for you. you uh, the light goes green. You're next to a bicyclist. The bicyclist goes in front of you as you're trying to make a right turn. Honk or no honk? Uh, a bicyclist. Um, man, that's a whole nother story, really. Those guys are they're guys, those guys are crazy. They're risking their lives every day. But do you honk um, at them? I'm, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna honk at it. Why would I waste my time or energy to to do that? I mean, it's not. I'm gonna do any good. Fair enough. Case by case basis, right there. Yep. That's what that's what you've learned. Now you did say originally you're from Oklahoma. What are some of the main differences you think are from driving there to driving here? Yeah. So, well, the main outside of the horn honking, I would say you know the the main differences are there's just a lot more you got to look out for. There's a lot more people walking around and and cyclists and uh, you just have to be a lot more aware because in Oklahoma, no one's everyone's driving. No one's walking. No one's riding bikes or scooters or anything like that. Um, tractors. So, uh, what's uh, tractors? tractors yeah, farm you, equipment. Yeah, you got exactly. You, you got to you got to pass carefully uh, those uh, those combines. You got to be careful. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly right. Wiley Bryant, yeah. thanks so much for joining us here uh, and giving us your opinion on honking on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
All right, well, there you have it. Now you know how and when the people, i.e. Wiley, wants us to honk. So I don't really have a good transition from that interview to this next one, so let's just get to it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, one of our evening reporters, Jackie Crea, she was doing a story about a woman who had her bike stolen, but her bike really just isn't a bike, like for, well, at least for me, that hangs in the garage most of the time. It's really her lifeline. It would be like if my car was stolen or my cat was stolen. I mean, it'd be a really, really <laughs> important to me. Uh, it, it, that's what this bike is for, for her. It's a big deal event. I mean, big deal. But what made us interested in her is that she's an urban planning student over there at University of Colorado in Denver and wanted to talk with her about the state of mobility now and what it might look like in the future. Joining us here on the show is Emily Kleinfelter. Emily, thanks for being here with us on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. So when I say your bike is your life, I'm, I'm really, I'm not kidding. You even rode from Maine to California one time all the way across the country. What is the status of fi- finding your stolen bikes? Um, currently, they are both still, uh, you know, out and lost in the wind. Um, I've been checking Craigslist and keeping updated with the detective, um, but no... No updates, really, at this point. We do have footage of the thief, of him inside the apartment, but that's really gone nowhere, unfortunately. Yeah, sorry to hear that. I don't know if how often bikes get uh, turned back up, but we hope that it does turn up sometime. So let's talk about urban planning. So what's your opinion as you go to school, basically in downtown Denver? What's your opinion of Denver transportation? What are we doing good and what are we doing that's not so good? Oh, man, that's a big question. Um, Very loaded. So, um, I mean, transportation can be like, you know, partioned out into so many different types of transportation. So when you're talking to someone like me, I'm really thinking as multimodal transportation. So really getting around on foot or on bike or nowadays on the scooters um, or using um, transit. And so, you know, Denver compared to cities across the nation is definitely a lot more progressive with our multimodal. We've got, you know, a really progressive transit system with the buses and um, the light rail system. I mean, maybe it doesn't always hit the right places. Um, I think that's where we're failing with our transit is that we've got an expansive system, but it doesn't always get people to where they need to go. Um, And then like with our um, active transportation systems, like with biking and walking, you know, you've got this culture here. You've got the people that want to do it. I feel like Coloradans are super active and outdoorsy and want to be outside and take advantage of those 300 days of sunshine. Um, but I think what's lacking is the infrastructure to provide a safe environment for people. Um, you know, well, 60%. And, and sorry to interrupt you, but, but just offshooting off of that little topic there, I, I was, I was just thinking about the survey that I filled out the other day that was sent to me, uh, from, I think it's an I-70 coalition or, or the Jefferson County government that is looking for, uh, feedback from residents about what the feeling would be for a train up into the high country along I-70, basically from here up to Eagle County. Now, my my point was that most of the traffic, the heavy traffic that you see on I-70 out to the west is really during the summertime. You actually have heavier loads then. It's the weather that slows down traffic mostly in the wintertime, but your heavy loads are really in the summertime. And when you go up there, if I'm bringing my fifth wheel, I can't do that on the back of a train. If I'm going to go hiking right there in, let's say, downtown Vail, that's one thing. But most people don't go hiking or camping or that sort of thing. So 
Shouldn't, as part of this multimodal transportation idea, instead of just transit, bikes, buses, scooters, walking, put the cars back in there as well? Um, I mean, yeah, it definitely needs to acknowledge that the car is going to be around. I mean, the car is here to stay. Um, I mean, it's going to change with it. You know, you've got the automated vehicles coming along, and so maybe it's going to become safer with the technology um, so people will be less distracted when they're driving. But I think that we do have to acknowledge that cars are going to be they're here to stay. Um, but I think that like expanding our highways isn't the answer. I mean, it's the it's the law of induced demand. The more you, you build lanes, the more it's going to increase people to drive. And so the more traffic you're going to have on the road. And that's just, that's the logic of it. I mean, people may argue all day that you need to just add more lanes on the highway, but that's not going to solve the issue of traffic on I-70. Um, and so it's really, it's encouraging people to say, yes, there's the people out there that need to drive their cars for different situations and different circumstances, but the people that don't need to be driving their car every day that have the option to take other forms of transportation, it's encouraging them and, you know, educating them that there are other transportation options and helping them figure out to get from point A to point B without using their car. Um, So I think that that's kind of the best solution in my mind. And how do you do that where you sometimes, let's say for me, it's more convenient for me to run around my kids in in my car. And obviously I come to work at 3.30 in the morning. So it's easier for me to to jump in my car and drive here since I don't have a a bus or the light rail. That's really an easy option for me uh, to come into work. So do you still see, at least for some people, that a choice, and even if I could, let's say I had an eight to five job. And I could take the light rail pretty easily, or I could ride a bus pretty easily. Maybe I don't want to ride the bus. Is that okay as well? Is part of the future of transportation and getting around? Is that okay to have the personal choice to say, you know what, I just I just don't want to ride in a cramped vehicle with 50 or 60 other people? I mean, I think that personal choice is what makes America, you know, that's what makes it America is that we have the ability to do that. And so, you know... It's not what I agree with personally. Um, I mean, I'm pretty passionate about getting people out of cars. That's that is very much what I want to do with my life. I don't see cars as a necessity for everyone. I understand that they are circumstantial and necessary for a lot of people, but um, you know, I I have friends that live up in Five Points and live really close to the the light rail line who work right downtown but drive to work every day. When logically they could hop right on the train and take one car off the streets, take one person out of traffic, take one more car polluting the environment, you know, and then they're not distracted driving into work and maybe they're not stressed out with other traffic and other drivers on the road. And like, there's, there's pros and cons to each one. Like I understand that people don't want to get on a cramped train or bus with a lot of other people and they want their personal individual space, but maybe you have to, read a document before you get into work and you can do that on the train or you want to be able to talk with your family on the phone or, you know, it's, they both have their pros and cons. Um, and it's, it's understanding that people are going to have their personal choice and that there's people out there that are kind of on the fence and it's reaching those people and educating and encouraging them to make decisions that are better for the society as a whole. We're talking with Emily Kleinfelter, University of Colorado, Denver, urban planning student, talking about the future of transportation. I mean, and Emily, look, my commute looks a lot like your friend's commute. I walk to work every day. It's a half a mile. There's no reason for me to be in a car. So I understand Mm -hmm. that. 
what I would ask you, I mean, what do you see as the appeal to those one and a half to two mile car trips over other forms of communication? Like when you're talking to friends and things like that, what's the pushback that you tend to get from them? For them, they think it's convenience. um, And I understand that because that's what they're used to. Um, You know, habits take like up to six weeks to form. And I think it's just a habit as well. Um, I didn't used to, to bike everywhere. I used to drive you know, to get to school every day when I was in high school. And I worked, I mean, when I went to high school back in Nashville, I lived four miles from downtown and I, and I drove to school. But then once I started to work downtown, I started to bike there because I realized that paying for parking and then walking to where I was going to work was just a much bigger hassle than being able to bike there. Um, And that's maybe not the same case for everyone. And so, you know, with I know a specific friend that like they claim that having their parking space downtown is, you know, a big advantage for them if they want to be able to drive downtown and park and leave their car there. But my argument to that is, well, if you live that close to downtown, you shouldn't be driving your car into downtown anyways. You should be taking transit or be using Uber and Lyft or be walking or biking. Um, your car should be used for taking trips out of the city, maybe taking bigger loads or things like that. What do you think is the future of transportation in not only a densely packed urban area like Denver, because in the next 25 years, you have to imagine that Denver is going to grow a lot more and have a lot more tall buildings, a lot more people living here, compared to what's going to look like maybe a rural area in 25 years? How, how are those two, you think, are going to look in the next 25, 35, 50 years? Oh, wow. That's that's a hard question because transit is one of those things that is just ever changing. I mean, you just look at Denver in the last year and how we've seen our mobility choices change with the five different e-scooter options and two different e-bikes that have popped up. I mean, if in one year we've seen that many different mobility choices in a dense area, you're going to keep seeing more and more changes. Um, you know, if you've got the way crazy out and like ridiculous ideas like Elon Musk and his, you know, tunnels underground that those are, you know, in my opinion, never going to happen. But then you have things like automated vehicles. And I think that those are something that we have to also accept that that's the future. Um, And they're on different levels. You know, you've got, you could see them becoming a rural thing as well, like helping deliveries out there, you know, people getting to and from reaching people maybe um, for, that are disabled that live out in rural areas, getting um, transit services out to them, maybe that are more expensive with having to pay a driver, but now you've got an automated vehicle to pick them up. Um, but I mean, that's a, that's a really hard uh, question because it's just hard to predict to even just five years from now. But I what, think that's, but, isn't that what you're supposed to be learning right now? <laughs> what it's going to be like and how you're going to change the world here in the next uh, five, 10, 50 years, you know, you know, uh, I think that's what everyone thinks what the planners might be doing, but really we're trying to figure out what's happening here and now and yeah, and how to plan best for it. But with transit and like I said, with transportation, we're doing our best to understand what the current trends are. And that is, you know, that's ride share and that's bike share and that's scooter share and that's, um, you know, using more transit and having more transit options and that's having automated vehicles. And, you know, that's that's the future of our transportation system. I do think it's it really is. It's getting peop- less and less people out of driving a single occupancy vehicle. 
I mean, I think that's where we're moving. So uh, let me ask you this. Specifically in downtown Denver, what's it going to take to get more streets that are closed to cars but only open to pedestrians, bicycles, and e-scooters? I mean, is that somewhere that we're going in the next decade, two decades? Um, certain streets, potentially. I don't know if Denver quite has the both land use build and like the infrastructure for it as maybe you've got like in New York city or even like I said, I'm from Nashville. And so we've got the street Broadway where we've got all of the country bars and you know, those it's just such a, even though it's a wide street, just where the land use is with all of those bars, it makes sense to shut it down. But I just don't know if Denver, maybe it has around Blake street or Coors field, you know, I have to admit I'm still new here. So I'm still learning the area. Um, But I mean, Denver may not ever see a whole lot of that where it's just a street shut down strictly without cars, but it's, it's a better, you know, um, harmony between cars and pedestrians and other forms of transportation. Um, you know, maybe, you know, we've got bike lanes now. That's great. But that really is only encouraging those fearless and confident riders on streets like Champa where it's not even protected or buffered. I mean, that was a missed opportunity where the city had plenty of right-of-way for them to put in a protected bike lane by the parked cars but instead chose to make it unprotected and now you have only those fearless riders that are going to want to ride on that instead you make it a wider lane you make it protected and then in the future when you make it wider you have that for other different forms of transportation like scooters and you know you've even got the skateboarders now so that people can pass each other and they feel confident to get off of the sidewalk so pedestrians can reclaim their space on the sidewalk. I can't wait for pedestrians to reclaim their space on the sidewalk. For, I just want to make <laughs> yeah. sure to say that. You said something else that was interesting, which is that you don't think that the Hyperloop's going to happen. Why? What are you seeing that, that makes you believe that? I mean, I don't, I don't fully believe it. I just think that it's a long ways away. I don't think it's something that we need to get invested in and put all of our, you know, eggs in that basket and say that, well, you know, don't worry, guys, we're going to be having tunnels in 10 years. And that's how we're going to be getting around. Um, I think that we need to think about what's here and now and what we're really dealing with, which is, you know, yes, we've got the scooters that those are a hassle, but they also are a huge asset. I mean, people can really see them as a solution to the first last mile problem with getting people to and from transit. A lot of people are discouraged to use transit because they don't know how they're going to get. Maybe they, they want to use it, but they say, hey, it gets me almost to my stop, but I still have another mile or so to go to get to where my real destination is. And though, but now that we've got scooters, maybe the scooters are there and then they get off the bus and there's a little bird and they can just hop on it and boom, they're at their destination. Um, so that's my that's my hope for the future. <laughs> and you, we, uh, you know, I mentioned just a little bit earlier about the high speed rail idea into the mountains. Do you think that's a good idea to spend however many billions of dollars it's going to take, and then how much it's going to cost for a family? I mean, uh, to to use that system to get up into the mountains, I could see it being great for maybe the family of four coming from Dallas, flying to DIA, jumping on a train, and going up to Vail for a week. But for me and my family, driving downtown or, let's say, even taking the rail downtown then taking another rail up to the mountains to do one specific activity, maybe that's okay, i.e. skiing, but to do other activities, snowmobiling, camping, other stuff in the mountains, I, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, 
You know, that's a good, that's a really good point because I, I'm the same way with having a car. I don't want to get rid of it because I like to get to the mountains and I like to be able to take my bike or my camping gear. And so, you know, a train like that, spending that large amount of money on something that maybe is only accessible to a smaller portion of people. Um, personally, it's not something I can get behind right now. I would have to, you know, see a lot more credible research and, and things that would prove to me that it would maybe benefit our economy and be good for both traffic, the environment, you know, overall, it would have more pros than cons, you know, um, but from what all I've heard, um, it sounds maybe a little bit less accessible to the entire population of Colorado. And so maybe our funds could be better spent elsewhere. Emily, you were uh, fantastic and, and we love uh, tapping into your insights and you are obviously a really uh, bright woman and I hope you get your bike back. Um, <laughs> eventually, I, I don't think the outcome is probably going to be great, but we do hope it comes back. And But otherwise, thanks so much for all of your insight, your knowledge, and uh, good luck in your studies there at CU Denver. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys taking the time to chat with me. Now, because this news took me by surprise, uh, I'm also not surprised by it. The high-speed transit company Arrivo. Mm. Uh, they've ended their plan to create a test track for speeding pods. Apparently, the company decided earlier this year that they were not going to move forward with this project. And the project had been in limbo for months. And then late last week, The Verge reported that based on two unnamed employees, half of Arrivo's 30 or so employees have been laid off. And the startup is shutting down due to a lack of funding. Arrivo's technology uh, proposed these autonomous pods that would actually speed along right next to your regular road. But they would have their own dedicated lane. And they would go like 200 miles an hour. So you're supposed to be able to get put your car on there or other cargo or yourself in this pod and go whisk across uh, town at 200 miles an hour. I mean, I can tell you why they couldn't get funding. That sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, the pods, they say, would carry people and cargo and use this magnetic levitation technology to make the vehicles float and go real fast. And electric power would then move them forward. Now, what what we need to do is reach out to Arrivo's founder, Brogan Bam Brogan. I remember Brogan Bam Brogan. You remember Brogan? Brogy. Yeah. Yeah, he he came in here with all kinds of pomp, circumstance. He was... He was like the coolest guy in the room for about, what, 12 minutes. He was the co- Yes, yes, he was. He took Denver by storm. He did. I, I'd like to ask Mr. Bam Brogan what, uh, what the deal is. Um, he originally said he was going to hire 200 employees, invest like 10 or $15 million here on this project um, with the Research and Development Center. That was going to be built, too, by, by the year 2020. So in a couple of years, obviously, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so all we're left with is this plan to create a section of Hyperloop now from the Hyperloop people up there in uh, northeast Colorado and see if that turns into something. Well, in uh, I, the whole Arrivo fiasco is a reminder that you should not trust companies when they say they're going to bring X number of jobs or Y new technology to the table. Because a lot of times they can't j- deliver on these promises. We see so many startups fail, and they have these really splashy opening days, and then everything falls apart within six months. Arrivo is just a prime example of that sort of all flash and circumstance for about 12 minutes, to your point, and then it's over. And there's no funding, there's no backbone, there's no actual plan to get anything done. I had at one point thought, hey, maybe I could join the Arrivo team. And then that lasted about three minutes. Um 
And I'm glad I did not. Do they make you change your last name? Would you then be Jason Bam Jason? <laughs> Jason, no, Jason Luber Van Luber, right? Yep. So is his last name really, I mean, does he have, is there a Mr. and Mrs. Bam Brogan? There must be. And what are their first names? <laughs> Lori and Robert. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? And also, just in time for Christmas travel, the TSA just started using a new sc- uh, scanner to try to make security go faster. And they're trying it first here in Denver. It's called the Enhanced Advanced Imaging Technology. And the TSA says this technology will provide better security screening while moving passengers through the lines faster. Now, DIA is the first airport in the country to test the technology. A similar screening system was tested in Los Angeles earlier this spring. Now, there are a couple of big changes you will see when you get out there at the airport, at least in Denver now, that you will notice when this uh, when this technology, uh, when you have to go through it. So first, uh, you're not going to go into this confined little screening unit. That one has the has the you know the roof on top of it. You go through this one little door opening and you come out through the little door opening. Otherwise, it's fully enclosed. Okay, right. Well, this one, the new one, they just have two walls. It looks like basically. Uh, a room with uh, just two walls, like a big, big letter square U. Okay. Uh, and there's and there's then the the look of the passenger, the person on each of the walls, and you're supposed to keep your arms down and not put your arms up. Yes. You're supposed to take them out from your side. I had a friend describe it to me as a new booth to take the same picture. Basically, yeah. But the big difference is there's actually three screens. So the old one had one screen. And so one person goes in, you see the screen, they see if you got something going on, and if not, then you move on about your day. This one, it takes your picture, and then you're up on a screen, but you come out as they're looking at the screen, and then what happens is that they will get the next person in there. And the next person is in there, and so while they're technically screening the first person, the next one comes. So it's supposed to speed it up by a few seconds, but they say speeding up by a few seconds for hours a day actually makes a big difference. Right. So that's what they got going on there. We'll see if it does speed up the process. They say they want to put it in other airports uh, and test it out and see how it works. I'm hoping that it's going to work out there because right now the security lines can go 25, 30, 35 minutes. It's true. Well, I mean, it get us to a point where we can all just like walk down the hallway and security just scans us individually as we go. And there's no need to stop at the checkpoint and then we're good to go. But I don't imagine how that could ever, ever, ever be a thing anymore. Now, someone asked about the radiation this machine admits and the TSA says it's the same as the current technology and it's safe for the public, including children to use. Sure it is. They said it emits less radiation than your cell phone. Oh, good. Okay. So that always makes me feel secure when people are comparing radiation amounts to the amount of given off by your cell phone. And this was one of my favorite stories of the week, Joseph. Uh, there's no doubt that the holiday season is one of the busiest and one of the most stressful travel times of the year. Now, the airports are crowded. Uh, the delays can be frustrating, and travelers are obviously stressed out about getting from point A to point B. Now, this year, the chicken restaurant Popeyes. Have you been to Popeyes? Love Popeyes. You do love the Popeyes. Love a little the Popeyes. spicy, it's like a Cajun spicy chicken place. Love that chicken at Popeyes. I think you mostly see it in the south and the east, right? Yes. All right. So I, I think they do have a couple of them here, but I, I really don't go. I'd rather go to Chick fil A. Anywho, Popeyes snob. is launching. That's a snob thing to say. <laughs> they're launching the emotional support chicken meal. 
to to provide a good-hearted laugh for holiday travelers. <laughs> it's there you go. It started yesterday for travelers going through Philadelphia. You can purchase their fried chicken meal with an emotional support chicken carrier at the Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen in Terminal C, and you can bring it with you on your flight. And, and the box, ha- it, it looks like a chicken. Correct. You know, you folds up, and then you have the chicken head, and little, it looks like little wings. And- Everybody will know you have an emotional support chicken if you are carrying this box around. They said, quote, we know holiday travel can be frustrating, and there's no better way to ease stress than with a box of delic- delicious Popeye's fried chicken with a good laugh. Said Hope Diaz, CMO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. God bless her. She continues, we appreciate how comforting emotional support animals are and wanted to create our own version. The good news is that our emotional support chicken is permitted to fly without any restrictions. One less worry for busy travelers. No, it really can't fly because you're going to eat it. Right. It comes in three pieces. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. There you go. I threw this out to my followers on Twitter and we decided this could go national. You could have emotional support lobsters in Maine, right. emotional support gator in Tallahassee, Perfect. emotional support crab cakes in Maryland, Yep. emotional support Rocky Mountain oysters here in Denver. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this could be a global trend, man. All I, sorts I, of emotional support food. Dungeness crabs there in Oregon. You could also just say cake is an emotional support thing. Oh, sure. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. Uh, the emotional support chicken meal will be available while supplies last. I don't know how long their supplies are, but... And it's Popeyes, man. It's like infinite. Why didn't they do this in New Orleans or Shreveport? Why in Philadelphia? Is it that busy? Is that I would think it's isn't Philadelphia like a top ten airport though? Definitely uh, well, more no, than New Orleans. Well, sure, but I didn't think Popeyes was that popular in Philadelphia. Popeyes is global, man. You got to get on the Popeyes bandwagon. Get off your Chick Fil A snobbery. The one thing we didn't <laughs> talk about today was the um, about the little the girl from Colorado Springs at Colorado College with her emotional support fish. Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah. They she, created a music video in tribute to this fish. Oh, they did. Yes. Because you had to give up. Basically, this girl goes to the airport. She's going to fly Southwest. They say she's never had a problem taking the fish, but now Southwest, because all the airlines have changed their rules to only have some support animals that are cats or dogs, and basically you're going to be just service animals now at this point, right. that she couldn't take her fish. And so she gave it to somebody else who says that they could fly the fish, um, and then they were going to hook up some other time, but they, they, they lost track of each other. They lost track of each other? Yeah, so the fish is out there with somebody, and you would think that with all this news coverage that the person who had the fish probably flushed it oh. because they probably were denied. But, you know, I mean, it's a fish. It's in a little bag. Why couldn't she just put it in her bag? Like it, she was coming with a, with, a, with a little carry-on bag, right? Just stuff it in the carry-on bag. Who's going to know? Is it possible, seriously, is it possible that somebody saw her stressing out about the fish Took it, said, "I'll hook up with yes. you," but yes. then said, yes. "But then was never going to hook up with them. Just wanted to flush the thing oh. and do it away from <laughs> people so that it wouldn't be a scene." Now that is possible. That is a definite possibility. Love it. Definite possibility. Well, anyway, she's looking for the fish. It was a beta. Betas live for what about three months? I thought it was a fancy fish, like a like a like a large well, a narwhal are, or no, something. No, no, no. Betas are fancy-ish, but you can only keep the one beta together. If you can buy it at Walmart, it's not fancy. No, I don't. Don't th- I don't think they sell fish. Yeah, they do. Pets? No, they don't. They sell. They sell fish stuff. 
No, they definitely. Well, maybe you're going to the wrong Walmart. Maybe they sell I am. fish at some Walmart. Okay, because I know at PetSmart you can get them. Yes, and then they have the betas everywhere, and then you just get them in that. So honestly, I can't see her being that emotionally support uh, <laughs> attached to this beta fish that doesn't actually live that long. How supportive can the beta fish possibly be? It's there to be calming, maybe. Maybe. I, just, I look at it. I feel better about myself. I don't. Yeah, exactly. Don't Something like that. But, you know, she seriously, she could have just put it in her bag and nobody would have known unless she takes it out. That's the thing. Most of these people, they want to show off their exotic thing. And that's what it comes down to. That's what they want to do. That's why they're doing this whole, uh, I'm, I'm going to have my emotional support whatever with me. But then it, it's an exotic beta fish. I, I, it's uh, not exotic. It costs like a dollar at PetSmart. <laughs> It's not like you're bringing your peacock. It's terrible. It's terrible. All right. Well, that's about it for this big-time program that we have for you today. Thanks again for being here. Make sure you rate, review. Have a great holiday. Have a great Christmas. We will be back, actually, I think the day after Christmas to record another episode. Yes, sir. Uh, And then so we'll be ready for the new year. Have a safe uh, weekend, and we will be here again, of course, next week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm fast food chicken inclusionist, Joseph Peters. (laughs) Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Thank you.